How many of you remember uh, elementary school? Even if it's just briefly, a little bit of middle, elementary school? Yeah. So at Marina Vista is the name of the middle school I went to. At Marina Vista, in fourth grade, in, in Mr. Ginsburg's class, uh, fourth grade, they started this thing called uh, line leader. The line leader, okay? This is like the amazing thing. Like, I remember the first day of fourth grade, and Mr. Cooper, or Mr. Ginsburg is walking through, what is a line leader? And the line leader, it's amazing, right? Because you're the front of the line. And on the line leader, your job was to walk the students out at recess. But it also meant if you were in front, you were the first person to the tetherball courts. Yeah. The line leader also would walk us to lunch. And if you're the line leader, that means you're the first one at the meal. And so without any hesitation, right out the gate, the first thing I did was raise my hand, screaming and shouting, I want to be the line leader. Like, you got to remember, like, this is fourth grade, little pudgy, goofy, buck teeth, loud, obnoxious Jeffrey. I made sure I got line leader. I made sure I got line leader. That's on Monday. They also had what was called the caboose, which was the end of the line. Monday goes by, go to recess, go to lunch. I'm ecstatic. Tuesday go by, recess, lunch, ecstatic. Wednesday, recess, lunch, ecstatic. Thursday, recess, lunch, ecstatic. Friday, dessert day. You got it's, it's. The school, you'd walk into the cafeteria and you get the it's, it's. And the downfall was if you were the caboose, you went last, or you went first on Fridays. That means you got the first it's, it. And if you got lucky, you got the like good flavors the strawberry, the mint, or you just got stuck with plain. That was the day I realized being in front is not always the best. So as I've been studying Jesus, it's crazy to think that this man only lived on earth for 33 years-ish. Think about it. 33 years, Jesus walked and talked, lived and learned, and he kept his Father's will perfect. In and through many of the difficult situations we face daily, he faced. But this is a crazy thing. As you look at Scripture, 29 out of the 89 uh, uh, chapters in the Gospel focus only on one week of Jesus' life. So that means Scripture is trying to tell us something. Scripture is trying to to let us lean in to his purpose, his holy purpose. So without a doubt, there has to be some important issues and lessons we can learn in these Scriptures. This morning is what Jesus has truly paid for all of our sin, the death we earned, and the hell we deserved by suffering and death on the cross. But to do that, he had to come with this understanding of servitude. And so this morning, this idea of as Christians, we are called and sent to serve. And as some of us, especially myself, always wants to be the leader until Friday. And I got the plain it's it's. I didn't get the strawberry or the mint chocolate chip or the chocolate. I got Plain, vanilla, it's it's. 
And so if you want to turn with me to chapter 10, verses 32 through 45 is what we're going to be focused on this morning. Again, this morning I'll be reading out of the ESV. And so it's chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on a road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with baptism with which I baptize, you will grant. But it is for those for whom has been prepared. And when he, and, oh, let me back up because I missed that. The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And you and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ransom for many. Let us pray. Father God, I first uh, this idea that you've chosen to give up your royalty. For us. And you did it in such a way that shows your agape love, a love that I still don't understand at times. The fact that you're willing to lay down your life for this broken world. And so, Lord, as we sit this morning, may we understand what you are calling us as Christians to do. So be with us during this time. Son's name we pray. Amen. It's this idea that just a couple texts before, if you think of Mark chapter 10, 28 through 31, uh, Jesus had promised his disciples that whoever is willing to follow and to lean in and to, to go where I call you to go, I will give you a promise. And and this is the crazy thing as we look at this passage here of 32 through 34. This idea of what Jesus is laying out for his disciples. 
So think about it. You're walking with Jesus. And they're on this road to Jerusalem. And he starts talking to them. And he's, he's sharing with them. And he's having this conversation. He goes, you realize where I'm going to end up? I'm heading into a community that's about to persecute me. I'm, I am willingly going to Jerusalem knowing that I am going to lay down my life willingly. No one's going to take it from me. I am going to give it up. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be spit at. I'm going to be condemned. But you know what? Three days later, I'm going to be raised. But I have to believe at this moment, the disciples, especially James and John, was not really paying full attention to what Jesus was saying. Because you got to think about it. Betrayal, condemnation, mockery, spit, flogged, death, stabbed, hung up in front of your mother, in front of your family. And all John and James could see, they didn't, they didn't consider the cost of being a servant. That was far from their mind. The only thing that they thought about, hey, can I sit at the right and the left of you? Like they completely missed the point of who Jesus really was. And it's not like they're just some random folks. These are part of the 12, and actually, they're actually part of the inner circle. The, the guys that got to witness Jesus' glory. Like, and here they are, like, hey, Jesus, can you do whatever I want you to do? It's like, how often do we do that, though? How often do we go to God hoping he could be the genie in the bottle, grant me my three wishes? I know I do. I know I do. There are moments I go to the Lord like, God, if you do this, I'll do this. I'll, I'll make a deal with you, Lord. Just recently, Father God, if you can make it stop snowing, if you can make it stop snowing, I will be out in our community every day spreading your word. And the snow kept coming because he knew I wasn't ready to be out in our community spreading the word just yet. I still had to get prepared myself. God, if you, if you say who you are, man, make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win that game. And again, they lost. But that was John and James. They treated Jesus as a way out. Instead of leaning into what Jesus is really asking us as Christians to be. And so this idea is they're sitting and hearing this story of They're going to mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. They missed it. So here it is. The crazy thing is, that's not the hope of the apostles. See, the hope of the apostles was we want to learn underneath this guy named Jesus. But the two of them, the inner circle, decided, I want more. Let us sit at the right and at the left. In your glory, assuming that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem to be glory, to have a glorious reign. Again, it's a miss, it's a miss on the disciples. They're thinking that what the people of Jerusalem really wanted was that, that ruling king, the one that was going to sit on the throne, that was going to conquer Rome, that was going to push out the persecution. And, but that's not what Jesus came to do. 
Jesus said, I'm going to let them persecute me. I'm going I'm to let them sacrifice me. I'm going I'm to walk humbly through this. Because I want to show them something bigger. As I was sitting here and I was thinking about the position of power and authority that we carry. See, we carry it in business, in politics, in athletics, even in the church. There's a position of power. The world believes true greatness means having power over other people, being able to bend them to your will, make them serve us. But Jesus was like, no, we are going to serve them. One of my very first jobs in high school was working at Furniture Mart. I loved it because I was a big old football player and I can toss around furniture and, you know, but my senior year, the opportunity came to be a manager. And I was like, dude, I want the manager's job. Because as a manager, you had control over the schedule. You had control over the delivery routes. You had control over what days people had off. You had control over the lunchtime. And for me, I'm like, dude, I can literally give myself like four-day weekends and only work. Like in my head, I was trying to manipulate the system, right? Here it is, this young 18-year-old guy who's going to be put in a position of power. And I'm looking at like, I want the good deliveries. Like I want to deliver to Carmel, like where I'm going to get tips. And I'm going to put the other people at some low, like in like the hood areas. Like you ain't going to get no tips over there. And like I thought I can control the situation, but that's what we do though when we're in power. Not everybody, but I'm saying if you're a prideful, arrogant individual like me, greedy, you're going to do things that will set you above over others. But what Jesus is saying is, no, you're going to serve others. You're going to be last because at the end of the day, you'll get the it's it. I remember, you know, as that young kid not understanding like as a manager I should serve the folks that are under me I should love them and listen to when they need their days off instead of only worrying about hey if I take if I do this right and the way that the days line up if if I get this day this day here I can have four days off instead of thinking about myself I should have been thinking about the people that work with me but we really sometimes don't do that let me get mine and I'll worry about you later Just think if that's what Jesus would have done. Think if Jesus would have came to this earth saying, I'm only worried about my kingdom and how you serve me. Because that's mostly how the kings have done it back in the days. And the rulers have done it. You serve me. You serve me. You go dig these mines for me. You go give to me. Where Jesus said, I am willing to surrender and surrender the one up to you. I don't know. You know that those who are regarded as rulers over Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But see, Jesus throws the curveball. Not so with you. Hey, Christians, not with you. Hey, believers, not with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all, not just to the people that make it easy for you, but a slave to those that make it difficult to you. Like that is, that's like, that's like ridiculous. So as I was looking at this, I was like, oh man, 
what does the old scripture like? Old scripture say like the, the Old Testament, and and I, I was brought to Psalms. It was a Psalms that we've read before, and it was Psalms twenty two, verses six and eight. But I am a worm. He starts off like I am a worm. And not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at, uh, at me. They, they wag their heads. But this is what he does. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Even in the midst of being the low, he's saying, God, deliver me. Rescue me. This idea that he is showing incredible faith in his position in who God has called him to be. That is one of the hardest things to do. Is to be willing to be willing to just be a servant and not want nothing out of it, but do it freely. According to Jesus, if you want to become great, you must become small. If you want to become a person of power and authority, then you must become a slave, a servant. Seemingly non-needed. I look at this cross idea of Jesus, and it got me a little over the last week, especially as we get towards this annual meeting, and I was just thinking about what does it mean to be in a position, and especially as a first-time pastor, what's it mean to be in a position, and the Son of Man is how Jesus describes himself. And he brings it back to this Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed by God. So I, I like to think that, hey, God, you called me into this. So what's it mean to be this servant? What does it really mean to give forward? And as I was sitting this week thinking about it, this idea that like I might be considered the pastor, and maybe you guys might realize this or understand this, maybe in your own profession is whether you're a principal or a teacher or, or a, a, a a business person or a doctor or you're in a position of power like this understanding like as a pastor honestly like I I had church hurt I had stuff from my past about churches and I honestly I never really had a great like for pastors because of stuff that happened to me but as I got to like realize who Jesus was in my own, own identity as I took myself out of the word pastor and just said a believer in you What I get out of this is I'm supposed to surrender my brothers and sisters. I'm supposed to surrender to my community. I'm supposed to walk with humility in. Listen lovingly and hold it. Because that's really what Jesus was doing. He was modeling that throughout his ministry. We see it at the woman at the well. No right to go and talk to her, but he chose to enter in and have a conversation. The woman who was bleeding shouldn't, a, a, a woman shouldn't be touching a man, but he chose to stop and listen to her whole story. The woman with the alabaster at his feet and, and, and wiping her, his cleaning his feet with her hair and her tears in that culture that was unheard of for a woman to come up to a man and just start washing his feet. But what he showed was, I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to surrender. 
You even go back to the first miracle at the banquet with the servants who says, fill these water jugs. Instead of him taking the credit, Jesus backs out and surrenders the one up and the party host gets elevated. So many times in scripture, Jesus shows it's not about me. He even tells his mom, it's not my time yet. I'll be glorified on the cross. But in the work, in the midst of the ministry, I don't want none of the credit. I'll be honest, I've been in ministry for about 15, 16 years. And at the very beginning, I remember anytime I did something, I was like, I did it. Look at me. Hey. (laughs) Until I really had a right understanding of this relationship with Jesus. You know what's cool? And what Jesus does is he like allows others to glorify. Even when he sent out his 12, hey, go and cast out demons and heal people in God's name. And when they came back and shared it with him, it wasn't like Jesus got a tally and said, you see all these disciples that I created? Look at me. No, he sat and he listened to the stories. And I think in ministry and as a Christian, sometimes we should elevate those that need elevation and surrender to them. And that's the model in which Jesus is teaching. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. We had earned and was baptized in hell. We deserved it. We we should not have been redeemed. We didn't do anything. But he is saying, I am here to serve you out of your sin and your punishment that you deserve. I'm willing to elevate you. So you can sit next to my father. So you can have a right relationship with him. I don't know about you, but like I've said it before, like I don't know that many people I would die for. Outside of my wife and my kids, like I'd even have to look at my mom and like, I don't know. I don't know. But this is what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. You really think, John and James, that you can carry what I have to carry, my burden? You really think you can do that? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, what was the thought process of James and John? You hear he's about to die, be flogged and killed, and now all you want to do is sit at the right hand. I'll be honest, that is not a position I'd want to sit at. If I knew you were going to get flogged and be put on a cross and die, I'm going to, like, question this. Hold on, you want me to do what now? But all they can see was the glory. And how often do we miss that? Sometimes we go through the trials and we don't understand why. We go through the trials because we want to glorify him through them. But in the middle of it, we're like, oh, woe is me. But he says, keep walking through, press in. You're going to get mocked, you're going to get criticized, you're going to get laughed at. But earlier he said, if you you do it in my name, I got a promise for you. And sometimes we can't see that promise. We can't see it in the middle of our junk. That's where the faith comes in. Right now in my own personal study, I've been reading Hebrews. Hebrews 11 is shocking. If you guys want to go to Hebrews with me. Now, I've I've read Hebrews many of times, but in my study, I've really been wanting to understand this idea of what was the first folks going through. Like, how could these folks have that kind of faith? 
And Hebrews 11 shows us simply what it looks like to live out faith in Christ, faith in God Almighty himself. Verse, uh, chapter 11, starting just right out the gate, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things, things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. To walk this life out in faith, you don't get to see faith. You have to live faith. It's not like I go to the store and say, let me get a fill up on faith. No. It's literally saying, I get what I'm going through, and I'm going to walk through it because, Father God, you promised me that if I stay faithful and obedient, there's a promise outside of this world. And so just a quick witness of considering the cost here, considering the cost. You see Abel and Cain. Abel comes with the pure, perfect sacrifice. And God calls it good. And he promises Abel. In Abel's faith of surrendering and giving up his first fruits, he even dies for it from his brother. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, and oh man, his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I don't, I don't know, but sometimes like, we feel like we're not good enough or we're not offering enough. But my question is, is it coming faithful enough? Because if it's coming faithful enough, God promises that. And it's not the promise, oh, you're going to get these riches right here on this earth. No, it's this promise that you're going to get to be in heaven with our king. The other one that stood out to me a couple weeks ago. And maybe it sticks out because... I got a two-year-old, and I I see my son walking around. But verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom he said it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This idea is a father that if I stay faithful like Abraham and be like, God, David is yours. Go do what you need to do with this kid. Like, like to give up, like surrender for his service, for his kingdom. See, God could ask that of, of us because he's already done it of his son. And that is what triggered me a couple weeks ago. The God of the universe chose to give up his son for us. So if he says, Jeff, give me your son, who am I to say no? That didn't hit until a couple weeks ago. I've read it. I've seen it. I've looked through the scriptures. But a couple weeks ago, that so came to reality, this idea that when God asks of us, he doesn't ask of us because he, he's just wanting to be the God who wants things. No, he's a God who's been through things. Because Jesus was tested for 40 days and 40 nights. And not just by anybody, by Satan himself and Satan's dominion. And he walked through it through the armor of the love of God. And I just sit here and I, I, 
I sit and see these disciples, and I'm, I just go back to the James and John. But the best piece is the other ten. What are the other ten doing? I love it in 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And when I looked at that word indignant, it's like, you stupid. Like, it's that, like, look of, like, are you, are you serious? Like, they couldn't believe it. Like, did you not just hear this guy is about to be put on the cross? He's going to be flogged, and you want to enter into this with him? Like, you, you're choosing to ask to be right and left? And that's where I, I, I laugh, and, I, and I, I sit here as I was writing this, is the conflict of being a servant. Like, this idea, consider the conflict. You have these other guys standing and witnessing and seeing and watching what they are asking. You don't think there was a rumble amongst them? Like, who are you to be left and right? Like, what makes you better than us? And I have to ask, how often do we do that as Christians? Why are they in that position and not me? Hey, why they get to sing? Hey, why are they the ushers? Because I asked that too when I first entered the church about 10 years ago. I remember sitting talking to Pastor Scott. Hey, Scott. Why am I not an elder yet? Boy, you can barely tie your shoes. Like, we ask to be put in these positions without understanding the consequences. And this is what I learned over the last couple of weeks, especially getting ready for this annual meeting and really praying and thinking about things. And someone in our meeting said something. is like, you know, the minute you are put in a position of power, the attacks come. The minute you come up here on a Sunday morning to worship and sing and you're over here like, ah. You go home and life is terrible. Why? Because God sees you and is trying to use you. And the only way he can bring you down is going to be outside of it. Because in here, when you're up here like this, you've got the whole crowd in your hand. But when you walk outside these doors and you ain't got your battle buddies and you ain't got the accountability and life stresses are hitting you and you feel alone and you feel targeted, that's when the attacks hit. I remember in our last board meeting, I had to pause and stop, and I had to think about something because someone said something. Why would you want to set someone up for failure? Why would you want to put someone in a position of power? And what Jesus is in here telling is like, you guys don't understand the wrath that is going to come if you want my left and right. Because you're not prepared. Jesus literally says, God is going to prepare the one that's going to sit at my right and left. Meaning that you're going to have a workmanship that's going to be crafted for you, designed for you. That's not you, John and James. And then the other ten are like, just keep your mouth shut. Like, I have to think sometimes the disciples quarrel and like, just stop talking. Because every time you open your mouth, you just make us look more, like... I was, I was told early on, man, if you don't know something, just keep your mouth shut because you'll look stupid or trying to convince someone that you know something. I was like, ooh, that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But that's what the, the disciples are sitting here. For some of us, we have an inner conflict with, the, with what greatness looks like. And for these two disciples, they thought greatness looked like sitting at the left and the right. But that is not what greatness looks like in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is wanting them to understand. I used to have a bad thought of what does greatness look like in the church, especially as a young associate pastor. I was like, dude, I just want to be up there on the stage. I just want to preach. I want to sing even though I don't have a voice. 
I even went and bought a guitar so I could learn to play because I was like, man, them guitars, they look, ooh, they out there. And then I walked in one day and I seen Scott on his hands and knees and he's scrubbing the toilets. And I just, I just like, oh, he's probably had an accident. And I go sit in my office and I throw my music on. And I'm, I'm cranking it out to in my office, listening to music. And then all of a sudden, I hear the vacuum on. What is he doing? And then I see Scott setting tables, putting tables out, putting chairs in. Scott, we got volunteers. I come down. Scott, we got volunteers for that. Yeah, me. Boy, what are you talking about? You're the pastor. We don't do that. Jeff, I think you need to take a week off. You need to go sit and talk, talk to God about what you think a pastor is. I was like, what do you mean take a, whoo, boy, what do you mean take a week off, Scott? Paid? No, no, Jeff. Go take a week off. The humility I've seen in the greatness of men who surrender the will of God has carved out my heart of what I believe a leader should be. But it starts with Jesus. He models it for us. So what I used to think greatness in the church was, it's different. This is what I see the greatness in the church. Now, greatness consists of attending meetings and planning budgets Changing light bulbs, cutting grass, teaching children, counting offerings, setting up tables, serving snacks, and cleaning toilets. It's the things that get unseen. It's like Hebrews 11. It's the faith that we don't see, but we keep going. It's those things. It's to walk into a building and like the light's flickering one day and they're not flickering the next. It's the individuals that are outside that are shoveling snow. Where it's walking in going to hop on a Zoom call, and then you hear the vacuums kick on and the, the toilets getting cleaned. It's, it's the individual who is choosing to go and, and remodel and clean up the children's area. That is greatness. That is the heart of God's kingdom, is how we serve one another. I've said it before many of times, and I'll keep saying it. The, one of the biggest, greatest things I've seen in this church is when my son walks in, he can go to that snack bar any Sunday. When his mom is fussing with him and he won't eat nothing, and he knows on Sunday I can go because I can get me a Rice Krispie treat or an oatmeal cookie, and it's set there, and the coffee is on, and it's nice and hot, and it's set up, and it's just done. I know for us elders, a great one this, this week of being a servant and just doing it willingly is look at our annual report packets. Flat out, your boy's not doing it. I know I'm the pastor. I don't have that skill, but someone chose to enter in and take it, and they're beautiful. On a deeper level, greatness is God's kingdom means carrying out the humble with humility. The task of holding each other accountable, though, is part of that. Carrying each other's burdens 
praying for one another. But this is the thing. But God's kingdom extends far beyond these doors. And God's eyes' greatness is in the workplace. Hearing of Cammy at Safeway. That's servant. It doesn't consist of getting awards or promotions or prime parking spots and a, a round of applause when you retire. No, God sees greatness in fixing other people's mistakes and in tackling jobs no one else wants, making others look good in the boss's eyes. That is serving. But we are in a culture that doesn't believe in that. In, in the world culture, if you said, hey, surrender the one up and make someone else look good, that's not what we do in our culture. That's not how we're designed. It's the me show. But God wants to flip that upside down and change it. And that's why he sent his son. Because my son is going to serve you. The perfect model. This morning I'm going to finish with this thought. It's in Matthew Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38. When I first showed up to Tri-Cities, our area director, Steve Vollmer, he pro- in my mind, Steve Vollmer is the model of young life. The way he leads leaders, the way he leads kids, the way he leads people, it's... Everything And I'm sitting in the office. It's the first couple weeks there. And we go to this Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and give him the other side. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, you go Two miles. Give to them one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet, one of, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, uh, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When, when we were reading this as a staff, I was reading this, and I was thinking to myself, first off, if someone slaps me in my day, I've always been taught, you slap me, I'm slapping you back. But that, that's the old me. See, as a, as a believer, we're a new creation. So the things that we would used to do, we're dead to, and now we live this new life. And as we were walking through this as staff, what Steve was trying to really get at was this understanding of why Jesus showed up. The eye for the eye is they slap one cheek, turn the other. What is that individual going through that they had to slap you? Maybe through that second slap you can hear their story. 
That first mile, if you got to carry someone's stuff, he's saying maybe in those days you're carrying that person's stuff and they're frustrated and arguing. That second mile, you get to hear their story. How often do we get to hear people's story? And that's part of serving is listening to people's story. Because then you know how to minister to them. It's easy to minister to those who are easy, that think like you, look like you, believe like you. Man, to extend the hand to the one that looks different. To love someone right where they're at. Oh, that's serving. That's what we're called to do. And we have the perfect model. The one who did it perfectly was Jesus. Jesus did it perfectly. And if we want to be Christ-like, we got to live out like Christ. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for how you enter in, how you challenge and convict us. Lord, I just pray as uh, we finish off this service, Lord, may we just think, what does it look like for us to serve one another, to serve our families, to serve our community, but to lovingly do it, to surrender in it? Mm. We thank you, Jesus, for how you surrendered for us. We ask all this humbly in your son's amazing and powerful name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team back up.